Good morning. Oh man, thank you. I feel better now. It's good to see you all as we gather together in part four of our series, What Happens When You Die. This is a series looking at many of the mysteries of what happens next. And we've said from day one that although we can't know everything, we can know more than many of us do already. And so today I'm going to ask you to put on your thinking caps and your divine imagination as we consider what our future home in heaven will be like. Now, I need you to grab your Bibles. Go, no, no, go back, go back. I'm not there yet. We'll get there. Grab your Bibles. Go with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Now, I'm asking you to start bringing your Bibles each week, either in physical or digital form. I don't care. Just bring it because I want you to see where we are in Scripture. If you're not sure where Revelation is, here's the way to do it. Go to the end of your Bible, come back past the maps, you're in Revelation. In fact, chapter 21 is the second to last chapter in Revelation. We'll be there in just a moment. Now, while you're turning there, let's just acknowledge it is now time of year when families and individuals are planning their big trip for the summer, or for some of you, the big trips for the summer. Maybe it's going to the grandparents' house or a beach trip or a road trip. In fact, if you will, turn to someone next to you or near you and share with them one place that you either have been or a place that you'd really like to go. Real quick, you have 10 seconds. All right, three, two, one. All right, shout out for me. What is one of the places you'd love to go? What do you got? Floor Red Bank. We're going to go into a time of prayer now. And all right. So I heard Florida. Someone else? Atlanta. Okay. What? Paris. Did I hear a Paris? Oui, oui. Yeah. Someone else? Haiti. Well, we got a mission trip this summer, don't we? Are you excited about it? That's going to be good. Earlier in the previous service, someone called out Italy. I had someone after service say, we're going to Morocco. And someone else just said, I just want to go to bed. That would be a vacation. Now, if I were to ask you to describe for the people around you the place, what would you tell them? Uh, how would you describe it? Maybe you describe the temperature, the climate, maybe the, the topography. What does it look like? Or the activities. What would you do while you are there? Or what about this one? Some of you are going, man, Tiggs, this is way too much thinking for this time of the morning. Fine, let's do this. If I were to ask you to turn to someone and tell them where you plan to eat after worship, could you do that? Some of you are going, uh-uh, still too high. Okay, fine, fine. Where's the place you like to go? And can you describe the meal you'll have? Can you, can you smell the smells? Can you hear the sizzle in the kitchen as they're cooking it? And some of you are going, stop it. Well, I'm ready right now. See, for many of us, we can describe all these places, but what about this one? You, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are heaven-bound. Not for a long weekend or a week, but for eternity. But if I were to ask you, as a follower of Christ, with heaven as your home, to describe it to the people around you, I think many of us would have just maybe a hard time describing it in detail. In fact, for many of us, our image of heaven 
would look more like a far side cartoon than scripture. I came across this image a few years ago. Do you remember Eric Larson's far side cartoons? Anyone? Well, let me show you one here. What's heaven like? Well, according to this, wish I brought a magazine. And you have a picture that many of us have in our minds of a light of fluffy clouds, someone clearly bored, wearing a white dress. Time out. Dudes, can we just be honest? Any place where a white dress is the dress code, it is not an exciting place to be. With wings and a halo? I think a lot of us have this image. So then when we ask the question, what is heaven like? We kind of go, I don't know. And then if I were to ask you, are you excited or ready to be there? I think a lot of us would say, not yet. And I think it's because we don't know what it's going to be like. Here's the good news. Go to the next slide. Let's get off this. That's not what scripture describes heaven as. In fact, the picture of heaven that we will now look at is far more vivid and beautiful than I think we even have the senses to describe. But let's try for the next few minutes because God in his kindness showed one of his followers, a man named John, a vision of heaven. He peers open the doors and says, this is what it looks like. Now write it down so my kids around the world throughout history may have a sense of what I'm going to give them. This is Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 5. Would you stand with me this morning in honor of God's word? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Side note, who sits on the throne, church? God. Saying, now the dwelling of God is with man, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, would you read these words out loud with me? I am making everything new. And the whole church said, Father God, give us eyes to see the new things to come, that we may become homesick for heaven and helpful on earth, preparing for the day when we see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Grab a seat. We're going to walk through as quickly as we can three things about heaven. I want you to see this. Number one, we're going to talk about the current heaven and earth. Then we'll talk about the future heaven and earth. And finally, life in the future heaven and earth. So let's begin with the current heaven, and earth. Now, we know there is a current earth. We're not going to talk about it because guess what? We're on it. Nothing to talk about. You know about it already. In fact, the scriptures indicate the kind of world in which we live. Did you see at the end there in verse 5? He will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death, decay, sadness, fears, mourning. It'll all be gone. That describes part of what it means to live on the current earth. Can I get an amen from anyone who's been hurt before? But he says there's also a current heaven. We don't know everything about it, but we know at least two things about the current 
heaven. Let me give these to you. The first thing we know is that the current heaven is where God lives or is right now. There are many passages that tell us this. Do you remember when Jesus taught his followers to pray? He says, our Father who art in where? Heaven. It is the place where God dwells in a unique way. And then in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended to the Father, we're told that Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. And when Stephen, the first Christian to die for his faith, as he is being killed for his faith, he looks up and he sees heaven open before him, and we're told, heaven open. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So while Jesus, while God is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere at once, he is uniquely in heaven, heaven the realm where his will is done perfectly in all ways and every day. The second thing we know about the current heaven is it is where deceased believers live now. It's where our brother Bart is, where our sister Diane Elliott, where um, others who have gone before us are right now. You say, where do we get that? Well, we get that in a lot of places. There's two, though. In Philippians chapter 123, Paul, who is about to be killed, he thinks, for his faith in Jesus, says... He desires to die and to be with Christ, who is in heaven. And then Jesus himself says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in heaven, in paradise. You will be with me. This is where God is and where those who have died already are. Here's the point. Believers in Jesus Christ never experience a moment of separation or sadness when they close their eyes they open them to see Jesus Christ. You never have to worry about a loved one who has passed on. What did they go through? How was... Jesus met them. As death's door opened, he said, come home. You need to know that. And have peace to know that they are safe and with our Father. John tells us not only is there a current heaven, but here's where things are going to get fun. Are you ready? we got to think deeply, though. He's going to say, not only is there a current heaven and earth... But there's a future one. You say, really? Yeah. Did you see what he said in verse 1? He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why? For the first heaven and first earth passed away. This earth, gone. The first heaven, gone. Something's changed. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. And we're told not only that, but there is no longer any Sea, the sea is the symbol of chaos, death, and sadness, the place where all of that resides in Hebrew thought. And this is a picture way of describing how heaven is where no pain, sadness, or death exists. And the new heaven and the new earth will be perfect without pain. Is anyone else excited for a place like that? Hey, anyone glad to know COVID can't go there? Cancer? does not follow you beyond the grave, heart disease, sudden heart attacks, violence of men, none of that will touch the new heaven or earth. That should get us incredibly excited and homesick for our home with God in heaven. But now, we need to describe this place. And i got to be honest, this is the part where a lot of us are going to say, but I thought it was this way, or I thought it was that way. Real quick, most of us, have pictures of heaven based on medieval art or pop culture media 
not on Scripture. So we're going to look at what Scripture says this new heaven and new earth are like. In fact, here's the first thing I need you to see. The new, it does not say that there is no earth. It says it is a new earth. That's a big deal and a big thing we're going to see. In fact, we're told that there's this thing called the new Jerusalem. Okay, Bible students, get ready. We're going to walk through this. Verse, three, verse 2, rather. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Now, we're going to figure out what this is in just a moment. The new Jerusalem coming, notice this, down, out of heaven, from God. So not going up, but coming down. And notice this, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Stay here. The new Jerusalem, what is that? It is described, the new Jerusalem is described as a bride. Now, in Scripture, we're told Jesus is married and has a bride. Church, hint, hint, who is the bride of Christ? The church. And so if the bride is the new Jerusalem, then the new Jerusalem is the church. There's this new heaven, new earth, and the new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven, and we are prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So there is an earthiness to the world to come, to the heaven to come. Let's just tease this apart a bit. In verse 3, we're told that the dwelling place of God is now with men, God with us. God's plan, it seems from Scripture, is rather than taking us up into a realm made exclusively for him, it's more that he will come down into a realm that he made for us and dwell with us in this realm. This is an awful lot like what God did in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, isn't it? How is the first creation described? God makes everything perfect. By the way, was it an immaterial floating cloud city? No. It was made for human beings. And does God stay up in his cloud city going, how's it going down there? Over. No. He comes down and he walks with us. Genesis 3.8, in the cool of the day, the Lord God regularly would interact with his creation intimately, fully, without any hiddenness. This is the picture of a heavenly earth or an earthy heaven. That is the picture we begin to get. It is... It's almost like God made it for us. Think about this. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you are a combination of different materials. You are made from dust and spirit. God creates man from the dust of the ground, from physicality, things you can see with your senses and experience with your senses. And then he breathes his spirit into us. You are a combination of physical and spirit. You are not just a spirit that happens to have a shell. Your body is not God's afterthought. It is not garbage God hopes to throw away in the perfect world to come. It is an integral part of who you are. And we know this because we long for spiritual things and physical things. For instance, we have the spiritual desire and drive to live in a world where children are not abused. Amen? We live with this hunger for marriages to stay together and not divorce. We live in this hungry desire for relationships across the spectrum to be united, for people to give honor to God, for us to no longer be at war with our own internal drives. That's a spiritual response. Animals do not have those desires. It is a spiritual desire. 
But God also gives us these physical desires. Isn't it true that we kind of like our five senses, usually? Yeah? Any of you like, let's just do it easy. How many of you like to eat? Let's see some hands. If your hand ain't up, you've not been to a church potluck yet. It's God's gift to the church. How many of us enjoy seeing a beautiful sunset? Or did you see the two rainbows last night? Whoo! Or, or have you splashed around in the ocean or gone skiing down snow-covered peaks? We like our five senses. Wouldn't it be just like God to say everything that you enjoy that was intended for good, I do not let the devil or death win. I'm going to fix it and give it back to you better. Spirit and earth united again as it was always intended to be. An earthly heaven, by the way, makes a lot of sense because we will have, get this now, new, better, not $6 million man bodies, but the blood of Jesus Christ paid for bodies. In fact, your body will be restored and resurrected in a way that you cannot even imagine. Uh, Let me give you one example, although there are many. Paul tells us that you will get an upgrade to your body. Let's see some hands one more time. If you've ever had an ache, a pain, or just wish you could dunk a basketball, how many of you want an upgrade on your body? Man, I wish I could look at a Twinkie and not become a Twinkie. Yeah? But notice what Paul says, the beautiful promise in Philippians 3.21. Jesus, we're told, notice this, Jesus will transform, change our lowly bodies so that they will be like his body, his glorious body, his resurrected body. How did Jesus' resurrected body look and work? Did people recognize Jesus when he showed up to them in his resurrected body? The answer is yes, by the way. Yeah. And could you touch Jesus' resurrected body? Just ask Thomas who said, until I see the whole prince, and I'm able to put my hand in his side where they stabbed him on the cross, I won't believe, and he gets to do it. Peter eats fish with Jesus on the beach. Who wouldn't want to sit with Jesus and have a meal on the beach? So he's physical, but notice he also appears and is able to come into spaces and leave spaces. He materializes in ways that a human, physical, lowly body cannot, meaning his glorified body is his body, but it's more than what we had before his death. Your body will be resurrected and perfected, transformed into the way it was intended to be before everything went wrong with the world. Anyone who's overweight or anyone who is sad, anyone who is dealing with issues, anyone who doesn't like the way they look or feel, is that good news? Yeah, absolutely. So you're going to have a body in an earthly, heavenly style place. You have old perishing earthly body for a perishing earth, but a new imperishable body where there is no sickness, disease, or pain. Now, admittedly, this is not that great of news if you're in the prime of your life. I know some of our 18-year-old guys are like, this is the peak of human perfection. How can it get any better? Right? But if you live with any form of pain or if you have moments where the mind doesn't keep up and you forget things or if you are dealing with cancer or anything else, this is glorious news to know that death does not win in the end. I think this is why Joni Erickson Tata says this beautiful phrase. How many of you know the name Joni Erickson Tata? Are you familiar with her? For those of you who are not, when she was 17 years old, she dove into a swimming pool 
Her head hit the bottom of the pool, broke her neck. And now for 55 years, she has been paralyzed from the neck down in a wheelchair. Now, this picture that I'm showing you is one of a painting that she did. It's of the wise men coming to see Jesus. Do you notice how she paints with a brush in her mouth? That's the only way she can. But she is a ferocious follower of Jesus. Some years ago, she wrote this statement that has haunted me and given me such encouragement as well as those who are struggling. She says this, When I get to heaven, the first thing I will do on my resurrected legs is to drop down on grateful and glorious knees before Jesus. Then I'm going to get up on my feet and dance. In the Church of Christ, that's called choreography. Just relax. Can you imagine the hope, she says, that the resurrection gives someone like me with a spinal cord injury? Can you imagine the hope that gives the manic depressive? No religion, no other philosophy offers us new bodies, just new minds and hearts. Only in the gospel of Jesus can people hurting like me have such hope to live. And she goes on with these words. I find it so poignant that finally at the point when I do have use of my arms to wipe away my own tears, I won't have to because God will. This is your home to come, friends. Now, some people wonder, what age do you think our bodies will be? If you die old, do you have an old body? I hope not. If you die young, will you have a young body? Look, I remember 15. I remember zits. I hope not. I don't know what it'll be like, but it will be perfect from God to you. And we're told not only will you have new bodies, but there will be nature. Did you know there's nature in heaven? Is that good news to anyone here this morning? I got some of my buddies who meet God in the woods. That's where they go to be with God. And the good news is, Scripture is full of pictures of rivers and trees, of fruit, of food, of wine, of splashing and running and playing, and horses. Did you know there are horses described in heaven? Jesus rides one. Read the book of Revelation. It's glorious. Now, this may make some of you real excited because you like How many of you like horses? Anyone in here? Yeah, okay. I like them okay. I'm not a huge fan of any animal I ride on because a number of years ago, I was in Egypt and I got to ride. I thought it'd be so cool. I got to ride on a camel right there in front of the Great Pyramids. And I thought this was going to be just an epic experience until I was assigned to a demon-possessed camel whose goal was to buck me off. I finally get off this thing. I walk away, think our time is over. Oh no, he wasn't done with me yet. He follows behind me until his little mouth gets over my head. Do you remember in Aladdin? Watch out, they what? They spit. Oh my stars. Blah. But there will be animals. There will be glorious things to see and to enjoy in heaven. And if it's a earthly nature environment, then I think there will be animals in heaven. Not that camel. I hope that camel burns, but there will be animals in heaven. Now, nature, bodies. Get this, there will also be cities in heaven. Did you know that? Have you read about the city for square, or have you sung the song of the city for square? Or do you remember our Savior Jesus' words in John 14 when he tells his sad followers, don't be sad. In my Father's, what's the place? 
house, mansion, are many rooms, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. It will be a city. Now, the question comes up, is this, is it all figurative imagery, or will there be literal golden streets as pure as glass? Will there really be gates so large, but they're made out of a single pearl? And the short answer is, Scripture is not incredibly clear on that. We're not sure if it's figurative or literal. What it is saying to us is it will be far better than anything you can imagine. You think your 7,000 square foot house is clutch? That's a shack compared to where we get to go one day, friends. You think all the time and energy you're spending trying to figure out exactly how to upgrade this area? God goes, don't make me laugh. I've got a space and you don't have to put it together. The master carpenter is in his shop right now working on it. And get this, incredible thought. It's not just that he is preparing a place for you that is made for you. But what makes it beautiful is that you will never be alone. That's the beauty of the city or this space. It's like on Christmas morning when you were a child with your siblings or cousins, or maybe you gather together maybe on Thanksgiving with friends and you have a Friendsgiving In a moment where you know in the heart of hearts you are to be with people, that is the picture of heaven. You are never alone or lonely, for the people of God are there. But it's not just that we're together that makes it heaven. But life in heaven, what makes it so grand, is that God himself will be there. And when you pray, it won't be, dear God, with your eyes closed, but it will be, dear God face to face. Dear Jesus, holding those same hands that went to the cross for you. That's what will make heaven so beautiful. This is what Revelation 21.3 says. Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. You don't have to wonder where you stand with God because God will be there standing with you together. This is what we want, isn't it? If you're in Christ, this is a longing for things to be made right. Even if you're outside of Christ, isn't this true that you desire this? Even if you don't realize that this is your longing. There's this word we often use. It's the word nostalgia. It comes from two Greek words, as best I can understand it. The first one is for homecoming, and the other one is for a pain or an ache. Literally, the word nostalgia means a painful yearning to return home. Have you ever had that sense and desire? I just want to go home. And maybe for you, home is not the building where you were raised, but when you think of home, you think of that cabin in the mountains that you went to when you were young, or the beach house, or maybe it is the space over here, or maybe it's this safe area that you'd always run to, and when you think of it, that's it, and And maybe you had the privilege of going back as an older person and you go and you're like, this is it. I get to go home and you go and it's like, that's not what I remember. It's so much smaller. The beach house is not as brilliant and beautiful and clearly other people have been here because it's a mess. And you look around and there's this ache because what you are longing for is a place you have never been. You are wired for eternity And that heart 
yearning is for a place God made you for and given you hints of, but you've not yet been. You aren't longing for the beach. You're not longing for the mountains. You're not longing for your childhood home or grandma's house. You're not longing for this place or that feeling. You're longing for your eternal home. And John tells us in Revelation 21, it's coming. Are you ready for it is the question. I want to give you real fast five things, five things very quickly. If you're ready, it's time to pack. Don't be like some of us who wait till the night before to get ready. You know, when you pack for some place, you consider where you're going to determine what you take and what you don't. So you're going to the beach, take a swimsuit. Go to the mountains, a parka. You pack based on where you're going. So let's talk about five things to get packed. Number one, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you are heaven-bound, you do not pack fear of death. The Christian is not afraid of death because even death is not the end. The worst thing the world can do to you, church, is kill you. And guess what? It simply hastens your trip home. As a Christian, we do not pack death. We do not worry and wonder and ache about it because death does not win in the end. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He mocks death. He says, death, you've been swallowed up in victory. He's making light of death because the greatest enemy of earth has been defeated on the cross by the creator of all things. So as a follower of Jesus, we can mourn when we lose a loved one, but we are not fearful of death because it is simply the doorway into life with God forever. Stop packing fear of death. Number two, he says, we don't try to fit all of life into this life because we still have an eternity to enjoy. How many of us are racing through life as though, hear me now, there is no tomorrow? Church, if you're in Christ, you've got a whole lot of tomorrows to enjoy. Why are you trying to get all of life in a few years on earth? Come on, let's talk about this for a minute. If this is life on earth and the universe represents life with God forever, you've got some time to do some more things. Some of you say, but I must travel to see the world before I die. Fine, enjoy. If you get to, enjoy it. Don't stress about it. There's going to be a heavenly earth to enjoy. And get this, it won't cost you an arm and a leg to travel in that one. It's going to be great. Some of you say, well, you know, it's, I've got to build this business. That's what I'm waiting for. And if I don't, I won't have significance. Fine, if you build a business, good. Have fun. But in heaven, we'll talk about this next week, you will have industry and opportunity to do things. You have eternity to grow. Some of you say, well, I, just, I need more time with family and friends. Great. Don't make that your idol, but enjoy. After all, you will have eternity to enjoy with family and friends. And today is a time to share the goodness of Jesus with those who are not yet your family or friends. Some of you are saying, well, I just need to get out and play sports, man. This body ain't getting any younger. 
And so we give up time with the Lord's people or the Lord's church or we reprioritize around a ball and a catcher's mitt or something you kick into a net. Listen, I love sports. I'm bad at them. I love sports. But you're going to have an eternity to enjoy sports with your glorious, glorified body with God. You say, is that biblical? We'll talk about it next week in the Q&A. The point is this. Don't feel like you have to pack all of life in this life because you have eternity to enjoy. So we don't fear death and we don't try to fit all of life into this life. And number three, we can face difficult times. The Apostle Paul called the hard times of life light and momentary. And I don't know about you, but when I go through hard times, I'm not thinking, boy, this is light and momentary. How can you say that, Paul? And he says, here's how I say that. Because in light of today, of the life we live and the eternity to come, what we're experiencing is the equivalent to one really bad night in a hotel room. And we can all make it through one night. We can face difficult times because this is not the end. Number four, we can give freely to God's mission. We can give freely to God's mission. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your what? Do you know the word? Heart will be. Now this is weird and opposite of the way you and I think. We think, I have a heart for something, a passion for something, an interest in something, so now I will invest my time, my energy, my resources into that. Wrong. If we believe Jesus, he flips it and says, no, where you invest your time, your energy, and your resources, your heart will follow it. So if you look at your life and say, I am not warm for God, I am not interested in the things of God, I don't have a heart for the lost or the poor or the needy. If you find that your heart is not where God's heart would be, Change where you're investing your treasures and your heart will follow. Isn't that good news? You are not a slave to your feelings, but you get to dictate where your heart goes based on where you give. When you die, there will be a great flipping of values. Everything you've invested in on earth goes to zero. You don't get to take any of it with you. But your investment up there skyrockets. Jesus says, you follow your treasures and you'll find your heart. I love what Jim Elliott, one of the last century's greatest missionaries said. He said, and I quote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So give freely to the mission of God. That is an investment strategy for eternity. And number five, we can live fully now because the future is secure. Your future is secure, family. We're going to close, but I need to ask you a very important question. This is the question of the day. Do you know Jesus? Everything we've talked about is fantastic. And it's your home if you know Jesus. Have you asked him to forgive you for your sins? And forgiveness of sins cleanses you from everything. But I want to be clear, asking for forgiveness. Repentance is not, I just feel bad. It says, I am turning my life to Christ. That old way is not my way anymore. Have you been baptized? As we saw our new brother, Jace, this morning. By the way, wasn't that wonderful this morning, church? Man! Have you given your life to Jesus? If you have, then you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is right now in heaven interceding for you.
And as we'll see also next week, those saints who have already gone on are now cheering you on, saying, you keep it up. You keep it up. The future is secure. So live fully today.